0: He's doing the live streaming but Ed is sitting there with the earphones on like he's live streaming, but (laughs) I don't know. If a pole got knocked down, I doubt if that's fixable from here.
1: Well, good morning. But the very first announcement is um, we, our live streaming is down. Uh, someone at some time in the morning or last night or whatever ran into a telephone pole, knocked that out, and the cable underneath it as well. And, um, so, but we, we still are recording it. And uh, and it will get it up at least on YouTube sometime whenever we get our um, uh, capabilities back, so it won't be lost forever. Uh, on that. Um, now the other announcements are are this first. We want to welcome those who are visiting with us. Glad to have you here. And um, we do have bags to to give to our visitors. And we'd love for you to pick those up. And if you'd like to know anything about the church, there are cards in the chairs in front of you, or they're back there in the Welcome Center, and I'd be glad to call, talk to, or visit anyone who would like that. Now, this is our last week of two services. We're finally, after over a year, going back to one service next week at the old worship time of 10.30... And most of the seating here will be like it is over here on the left side. We'll get back to that original seating, except for the last two rows. So there will be three rows back there for those more comfortable with mass, uh, uh, for you to be able to sit uh, there as well. So that's next Sunday at uh, 1030. We're finally meeting again to, together, all of us. Uh, Also, ladies, uh, you would have noticed that your outing for yesterday was canceled uh, due to weather, which turned out to be nice, but um, uh, next Saturday it has been uh, rescheduled. And then for the last one, I need to read to you a a called congregational meeting uh, for next Sunday. A congregational meeting has been called for Sunday, April the 25th, for the express purpose of receiving and acting on the resignation of Mary and Clark, uh, effective June the 1st. So that's next Sunday after the worship service. Um, the congregation is the one who calls a pastor, voted on that. So only a congregation can meet and accept um, a resignation, which is then presented to our presbytery, uh, which would take place sometime in May. Now let's prepare our hearts for worship. Recall to worship. Let me read from Psalm 24, verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. We gladly open up the gates of our sanctuary, the gates of our very hearts, our God, to the King of glory. We give you praise for our Lord Jesus Christ, who is one great victory for us. And we pray now for the blessing, the anointing of your Holy Spirit upon us, that as we offer up our worship before you, that we would honor God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing together, Hail the day that sees him rise. our light uh, this morning to have our scholarship recognition Sunday and I'm going to invite Valerie Hunt uh, to come up and give her presentation.
0: Places, make a decision whether to award them a scholarship. We look for outstanding character, good grades, but they don't have to be the top of their class. Involvement in their community, financial need, and strong work ethic, like do they have a job after school to help pay for college. The committee interviews the applicants to discuss their high school experiences, role models, and future plans. This year we have five outstanding students we'd like to introduce to you from three local high schools. So due to limited room up here, when I call your name, y'all can come up, and then as I introduce the other next student, y'all can go back and sit down, okay? Okay, uh, our first recipient, it's not here, so we (laughs) Okay, our first recipient is Andreana Adams. Andreana is the daughter of Chiquetta Adams and lives in Eatonton. She's a senior at Putnam County High School and attends Jones- Jones Grove Baptist Church. Andriana plans to attend Augusta University and major in psychology. Her career goal is to become an FBI agent. She has volunteered many hours at the Eatonton Putnam County Library and has worked at Waffle House. She is currently working part-time at her high school. Andriana has taken many dual enrollment classes and will have around 40 hours when she graduates from high school. As one of her references said, I believe... Andreana to be an exemplary student as well as a person of tremendous character. Our next recipient is Katie Silvalla. Come on. So she's, she. has got, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Katie is the daughter of Todd and Michelle Silvalla and lives in Greensboro. She is a senior at Lake Oconee Academy and attends Lake Oconee Church. Katie plans to attend Georgia Tech and major in mechanical engineering with a minor in industrial design. She has volunteered the Pete Nance Boys and Girls Club and co-founded a cheerleading program uh, based on her love of cheering at LOA and a competitive cheer team. She saw a need for the young girls to have an activity to be involved in. Katie also works at the Iron Fork as a waitress and hostess and use her artistic talents and to, to design a new dessert menu. <laughs> she states, quote, My faith in Jesus Christ is one of my core values, which has led me to make service a priority in my life. Thank you, honey. Okay. Our next recipient is... Oh. <laughs> You're okay, okay, right okay. huh? Huh? you doing a picture? <laughs> okay. He's Okay, he's already done it. He's doing it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, fine. Okay. We wing it sometimes. What can I say? (laughs) Our next recipient is Tiffany Hernandez (laughs) Silanus. I know she has you. (laughs) (laughs) I do that. (laughs) Tiffany is the daughter of Lizeth Silanus and Julio Hernandez and lives in Union Point. She is a senior at Greene County High School and attends Christ our King and Savior Catholic Church. Tiffany plans to attend Agnes Scott College, which excited Marianne. (laughs) and plans to have a double major in psychology and Spanish. She wants to be a psychiatrist. During high school, Tiffany was on the sidelines of football games to aid injured football players, and she has served as a tutor and translator for their Spanish-speaking students and parents. She also works with her mother cleaning houses after school. One of her references said, quote, her faith and encouraging nature ensure that her cup remains full as she pours into others. Congratulations. <laughs> our, ne- our next recipient is Jada Wingfield. Jada is the daughter of Tamika Rolla-Miller and lives in Greensboro. She is a senior at Greene County High School and attends Springfield Baptist Church. Jada plans to attend Georgia Southern University and major in nursing and minor in business. She has worked at Marco's Pizza and did an internship at St. Mary's Hospital. Jada has had perfect attendance through all of school. <laughs> that's, an, that's like an accomplishment. <laughs> She is passionate about becoming a nurse and wrote, quote, I know that this is God's calling because I have a passion for it and I love doing it for the enjoyment knowing that the greatest reward is making sure that a person is all right. Congratulations. Our last recipient is Cameron Wright. And look at those shoes, how pretty. (laughs) I want to say when Cameron came for his interview, he had on red shoes and a red bow tie. He he looks spiffy at all times. (laughs) Cameron is the son of Vincent and Tanisha Wright and lives in Greensboro. He is a senior at Greene County High School and, and attends Antioch Missionary Baptist Church. Cameron plans to attend Fort Valley State University and major in agribusiness economics. He wants to uh, own his own landscaping business. Cameron has been very involved in the Future Farmers of America, FFA, during high school, and he said this is what has inspired him to want to major in agribusiness. He also played basketball. He has worked at the Greensboro Chick-fil-A since it opened, uh, and one of his teachers wrote, quote, I can testify he is one of the most selfless and giving young people I have met at Greene County High School. Congratulations, (laughs) Cameron. We want to congratulate each of these students. Your work ethic and strong faith will serve you well as you pursue the next chapters in your life as you go off to college. And Joshua 22.5 says, Love the Lord your God. Walk in his ways, obey his commandments, hold fast to him, and serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Remember whose you are, meaning that you're a child of God, and let your example for others to see him through you. Congratulations, and and Pastor Marion's going to close us with a prayer.
1: Thank you, actually, and I appreciate Valerie made sure that um, this was done while I was still here because I was part of the original committee. And let let me just say this. you're ever feeling down about the future and about the younger generation, there's nothing more heart-lifting. I've sat in and I I missed this particular class, but sitting in and listening to the testimonies and, and meeting these young people, I mean, you feel good about uh, the future, the, uh, just the outstanding character. And it's a great blessing uh, to this team. They have a ball uh, interviewing uh, these young people. Let's, uh, let's have prayer. Our Father, we do uh, thank you uh, for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the salvation we have in him. We thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit uh, to, to give according to uh, your will, uh, gifts, abilities, character, and uh, to, to bring such common blessings uh, to, to people. We, we celebrate uh, the gifts and the character uh, that you have given to these uh, five young uh, people. Uh, we thank you for Andriana, for Katie, for Tiffany, and Jada, and Cameron, and we pray your blessings upon them, as they go forth into the future, as they go forth to college, and then as they step out into the world and their careers. uh, We pray for them that you will both bless them, but that you will use them to be a blessing to many whom they will encounter in their lives, as we trust you will. We thank you for their families who have shown them love and have given them support, and we pray for your continuing encouragement of them. And so we commit them before you and pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Let's uh, stand now and sing together in Christ alone.
2: I just said
1: Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And our Father in heaven, we do pray that uh, this very morning we will hallow your name in our worship. We pray for your name to be honored, to be hallowed throughout this world. We pray for the coming of your kingdom for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, in which he will consummate that kingdom, and he will come as our great king of glory. We look to that day. We pray that meanwhile, that we will be found faithful here upon this earth as his servants, gladly serving him in his kingdom, that we might be found of faithful unto you. We pray for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, to give us the eyes to see your will being done, on this earth, we might see uh, the very army of glory that is about us and carrying out your will until the ter- return of our Lord. We pray that you would give to us our daily bread. We pray that for the very morning that you will feed us uh, with the bread of your word. We give you thanks for the bread of our Lord Jesus Christ. We do pray for you to provide for our physical needs. We lift up uh, our brothers and sisters who are, are ill, who are afflicted with pain, and we pray for their healing. We pray with those who are praying for their loved ones and praying for uh, for infants up through old age, and we uh, commit them before you and pray for your healing power and your provisions for them. We pray for your provisions for our country, for those who have lost loved ones in the last uh, a week or two weeks uh, through violence in particular. We pray for their comfort, and your mercies to be with those families. We pray, our Father, that we not be led into temptation. You know our weaknesses. Pray for your protection, that you would deliver us from the evil one. We make this prayer acknowledging that to you belongs the kingdom and all of the power, to you is to be all of the glory forever. In Christ's name, amen. seated. I invite you to uh, turn with me uh, to Psalm 24. You'll also find the psalm as an insert in your bulletin. We've been looking at a number of psalms, and this particular one is is a very puzzling psalm. And the reason is that there are three distinct stanzas that really could just have stood alone, or they seem like they would fit better with another psalm. So look at the first stanza in verses 1 through 2. They, they present God as a creator, and you would then anticipate a psalm about creation, okay. uh, such as, for example, in Psalm 104. Then the second stanza, verses 3 through 6, just seems to go to another topic altogether. It asks about the character needed for a person to stand in the holy place, that is, the tabernacle. And, uh, well, there's another psalm, Psalm 15, devoted exclusively to that. It doesn't talk about anything else. And then you have the third stanza, 7 to 10, that just says, well, another subject altogether from that. Something about the king of glory making an appearance at the gate of Jerusalem. Indeed, there are some commentators who think that these belong to different psalms or maybe stood together and some editor put them all together and just kind of threw them together somehow. Now, a question that's always asked, commentators will ask about these things, is what's the context of a particular psalm? Did David write the psalm to celebrate a particular occasion? Now, if he did the one that most likely seems to be is the time that he brought, brought the Ark of the Covenant, you remember that, into the city and into the tabernacle up there on the hill. And, and you, could, you could see how that could be because the Ark of the Covenant represented the throne of God. So you could see how, well, this is the King of Glory coming in. Well, even if that is the case, It's still, how do you account for those first two stanzas? Where do they fit in together? And that's what we want to know. How to make sense of all of these stanzas, these verses together. And just like with uh, Psalm 22, if you remember, I said really the only way that you can make sense of that psalm, it's the same way, the only way you can make sense of this psalm is to see Jesus in it. So with that in mind, let's take a look at the psalm. And we'll look at the first stanza, verses 1 through 2, which present the premise of the psalm. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So the premise is, look, the earth belongs to the Lord, and as such, because of this, he has the right of all creation belonging to him. And all the creatures, by virtue of God being their creator, they owe him his due worship and service. Everyone at some point is going to have to appear before their creator and there to offer him his due worship. All right, that now takes us to the second stanza. And the second stanza presents a question or a a dilemma. It's presented in verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Well, again, everyone must appear before the Lord. The question is, who can actually do so without bringing destruction or condemnation upon themselves? Now, the hill of the Lord is Mount Zion, and on Mount Zion sits Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So the question might be this. David might be asking, well, who who should be dwelling in the holy city? Or he could be asking, who should be able to go up to the tabernacle that's at the highest part of the mount and stand in God's presence? And even then, we're not quite sure if that's what he means. He could mean the tabernacle is the tent that has the holy place and most holy place. Does he mean actually go in there. Well, if so, only priests could do that. And he could be asking, what is it that a priest needs to go into into the tabernacle? Or he could mean kind of that whole courtyard that's around the tabernacle. Well, whatever the scenario, the question keeps coming back to this. Who is worthy to stand on God's holy ground in his presence? Who can endure the full glory of God? Who can stand without perishing in the presence of the Holy God? Now, this was a very real issue for the covenant people. In our modern times, we tend to just think this that is, as long as men take their hats off and everyone keeps a respectful attitude, then will anyone? should be able to come into the sanctuary before God, and especially if they present an appropriate gift or offering. But David's point in our psalm is that there's a a character that is needed. Look with me in verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully... So the person who qualifies is the person who is innocent of any wrongdoing. That's what it means to have the clean hands. Someone with a heart of pure thoughts, pure intentions. It's the person who never turns his heart to what is false, never lies. In some, it's the person who never sins, whether in thought, word, or deed. Now, one might argue that, well, look, that's not what David means here. He's not that extreme. That what David is really speaking of is just someone, for the most part, has, you know, is a good person, okay? He or she has integrity, can be trusted, is, is known for sincere faith and love for God. And so then what David is saying, that whoever appears before the Lord for worship, you know, Needs to have a basically good character and do it with a sincere heart. And so, for example, in Isaiah chapter 1, 10 to 17, God talks about this. He complains of worshipers who make a big show of coming and they got all the outward accoutrements that they think are that shows that they're offering good worship. And he says, Look, your, your hearts are not right with me. And as evidence that they have bad hearts, He presents the injustices that they allow or commit. Let me read it to you. This is, again, Isaiah 1 and 16 and 17. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. So maybe that's all that David has in mind. That is, if he's just thinking about who can go up into, well, who can live in Jerusalem, or maybe who can go up and, and offer their sacrifices. In other words, maybe David is just thinking about, you know, just kind of getting along in daily life. And for, if that's the case, then, look, a basically good person God will bring blessing too. Now let's go verses 5 and 6. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Now that actually is a common theme in the Old Testament, that there are the righteous who do seek after God and they, they seek to worship him, they seek to serve him, to follow his laws, and such a person can anticipate blessings so for example, in the book of proverbs sixty six times the righteous person is mentioned, and in many of those cases there 's a reference to the blessings that the righteous person will receive so maybe maybe that 's all that David has in mind, but I want us to take this this concept of a righteous person a notch higher? What if David is thinking about something more than just living in the city or even going up to that tent, that tabernacle? What if he's really contemplating about truly appearing before the Lord? The Lord who, as he says, created the earth all that dwells in it, the Lord who above all traits for which he is known, he is a holy God. So that's what he's thinking about, then being good enough is not enough. And David would have understood that. He writes in Psalm 130, verse 3, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? No one could. Or he makes reference to himself. In Psalm 51, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now I could have given other examples, but you get the point. David knows that in truth there is no such person as one with clean hands and a pure heart. He would have understood the feelings of Isaiah, who did actually appear before the holy God. And here's how Isaiah responds. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of Hosts. So honestly, who can stand in the holy place in the presence of the Holy God? Now, let me give you an illustration from the Old Testament. It's the time when the, the new temple has been built by Solomon. Okay. The priests have carried the Ark of Covenant into the Holy of Holies. Okay. This is First King. Uh, Chapter eight, and when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. A cloud is what is referred to as the Shekinah cloud. It is the uh, the glory cloud. It, when it appears, it represents the presence of God. And so as, the, as was being illustrated there, again, who can stand in the holy place when it is filled with the glory of the Lord? Who's holy enough? Righteous enough? Who is clean and pure enough? That's the question that's being raised, and right in the middle of that contemplation, a voice suddenly rings out, demanding our attention. It's in stanza three, look in verse seven. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. It is this stanza, it's this voice calling out that brings clarity to the other stanzas and verses. It provides the answer to that question, the the solution to that dilemma of stanza two. There is one, and one only, who is worthy to enter and stand in the holy place. And he is himself the king of glory. Indeed, he is the Lord. it's in capital letters, that means we're speaking of Yahweh. And he is one who has already proven himself mighty in battle. He is that Lord of hosts. That is the word Sabaoth. He is the Lord of a mighty army, and he has won a great battle over enemies, and now he's marching into the city, up the hill, into the holy place, and there he will receive blessing from God, and he will be vindicated as the righteous one. Now, I would started off by saying that we need Jesus to interpret this psalm, so let's go about doing it Now. First of all, again, in that first stanza, gives us the premise. There's one God who is the creator of all. We are his creatures, and therefore, because of that, we are to offer him the worship and service that is due our creator. But, as stanza two presents, there's a problem. Who can stand in his presence without condemning ourselves? The problem is is that the fall has taken place. And so as David says, look, we are all born in sin. Now, we might seem to vary in the degrees of our goodness and of our service to God, but that does not give the real picture. For whatever good may be found in anyone, like that's what's given by the Holy Spirit, by God's common grace. The real picture is at the heart of every man and woman. Well, it's what's revealed in Romans 3. In chapters 1 and 2 of Romans, Paul has been making the case that, look, no matter how good a person may seem, no matter how religious they they may be, everyone has the same heart condition. And then he presents it here in in chapter 3. Let me read it to you. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, that is everybody, are under sin. As it is written none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. Now again, that, that sounds extreme. We look at people and say, you're not that bad. But again, the point is, is what is in the human heart? And so again, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Now, we may outwardly do good works. Outwardly, we have good characters. But they do nothing but but cover up the evil that is within. And they cover up nothing before God who sees quite clearly in our hearts. What then? Where is our hope? Well, it is in none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, who is the King of glory. He is the Lord of hosts who is strong in battle. And what is the battle that he has won? It's a battle that he won on the cross, in which he defeated Satan, defeated even death, in which he vanquished the host of Satan. But there's still a problem. What about our sin-stained condition? Okay, it's great. Jesus has defeated our enemies. We nevertheless, we we remain guilty. We're still polluted by our sins. What then? Well, let's go back to the, the last stanza. Stanza three. King, the Lord of glory is coming in. Well, what is it that he's coming in to do? Now, if the second stanza presents the correct setting of the psalm, that he's, well, he's coming into the city, he's entering Jerusalem, he's going up to the holy hill, to the holy place, and what is he going to do there? He's going to stand in the presence of the holy creator. Well, for what purpose? Now, for those of you who follow along in our study of Hebrews, You cannot help but think about what it teaches that Jesus did in the heavenly temple or the heavenly tabernacle. Let me read it to you from Hebrews 9, 11 and 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And then on to verse 24. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are just copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So this king of glory has entered, and not an earthly city, not an earthly tent, not a temple of stone, he has entered into heaven itself, into the true heavenly tabernacle, into the very presence of God his Father. But he has not come empty-handed he has brought with him the offering of his own blood that he shed on the cross. And with that blood, he has made the offering that cleanses us from all of our sins and that secures for us an eternal redemption. By his blood then, we now follow him into the most holy place, into the presence of God, and we're received. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, 19 through 22, the writer says, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. See What he's saying is this. Look, we've had to stand on the outside of the holy place, our sinful state keeping us out. We can't get in there into the presence of God. But lo, our king has arrived, the king of glory from his victorious battle against our enemy who held us in bondage to sin, He has arrived, and he has entered the holy place, but not merely for his own sake, but for ours. And he has not shut the door behind him. He has opened wide the gates. He has torn in two the curtain that kept us out of the most holy place. He has made offering for us so that our Creator opens his arms to us and welcomes us into his glorious presence. Now this understanding of what Jesus Christ has done for us, it should encourage us, and it should admonish us. It should encourage us in that it it removes this heavy burden of trying to prove, trying to make ourselves good enough to stand on that holy hill. And how often we've worked at that very goal. We've You know, recommitted ourselves over to the Lord again and again. Or we think of ways that we, if we do penance, that'll make up for our wrongdoings. Or we'll try through sheer willpower to, you know, to feel reverence. We'll do good works. We'll act as religious as we can, trying to clean our soiled hands, trying to purify our hearts. And what do we find? We just find that it is hard work. And we can never be sure if we have done enough. But when we understand what Christ has done for us, we can rest. We can rest in that sufficient work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can confidently follow him into the throne room of our creator. Understanding what Jesus has done, it encourages us, but it also admonishes us. Because the other extreme, we can be filled all the time with self-doubt, or even worse, we can start to rely on our own righteousness. And we always, when we do that, we make comparisons. We have to understand, though, that there is no one who's cleaner than others. There's no one who gets closer to God's presence than others. Romans 3.23 states plainly, all have sinned, all falls short of the glory of God. Now again, if there appears to be differences in us, well, that lies in the work of the Holy Spirit, giving us different gifts, different experiences, different makeups, and that would seem to make some people seem to be better than others. But as was demonstrated, the hearts of us all are evil and need the atoning work of Jesus, and we need the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. As we sang, in Christ alone, our hope is found. So let us honor our Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is the King of glory. Let us give thanks to our King, who became our high priest. and Truly, he is worthy to be crowned with many crowns. We give you praise, our God, for our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, who has won the great battle for us, who has marched up into, the, into heaven itself, into the heavenly temple, and there has made the offering for our sins, that we may follow him, and we do gladly follow him. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Crown him with many crowns.